Good morning. My name is Sharon Rowenson. As uh, Kevin mentioned earlier, I'm not the pastor here at New Life Church. But while we wait for a new pastor to join us in a few weeks, I've had something on my heart recently that I wanted to share, something I've been reading about and listening to and hearing about. All last month, uh, probably the biggest news in Christian circles has been about revival. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but people have been talking about it a lot because a spiritual outpouring started last month at a small Christian college in rural Kentucky called Asbury University. They have less than 2,000 students, plus a seminary across the street with maybe another 15 or 1,600 students. So it's not a, not a big place. But for two weeks in February, an estimated 50,000 people showed up at Asbury to worship and pray and experience revival. It attracted so much attention that even non-religious news outlets were talking about it. What is this thing? What is revival? Why is everyone showing up in Kentucky? Students from other colleges who came to the revival services brought it back to their own schools. Now some of those colleges are reporting revival experiences as well. And it seems like it's continuing to spread. So all of that I found pretty exciting. But I realized it brings up some important questions like, what is a revival? How do they start? How can you tell if a revival is really from God? Are revivals a good thing? And how should we respond to revival? Whether it's just news of revival somewhere else or revival happening somewhere that we are. So let's start with the word itself. What does it mean to be revived? Literally, it's bring back to life. Re-vive. Vive, vive, life. Bring back to life. We also use it for waking up from some kind of unnatural sleep. If someone faints or collapses and a paramedic brings them back around, you say that they revived that person. If you take a long drink of water on a hot day, you feel revived. We use the same word when the Holy Spirit moves through a worship service or a meeting and people who were feeling dulled in their spirits and you know, bored with church or separate from God, start to feel refreshed and revived and like they're close to God. It's waking up from an unnatural sleep that we fall into spiritually. Peter describes it in the book of Acts. Now you must repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshment, time after time, your souls may know the refreshment that comes from the presence of God. Revival is refreshment from God. I also found some theological language. This is kind of a technical description of revival. Revival is a sovereign work of God to awaken his people with fresh intensity to the truth and the glory of God. He awakens us to the ugliness of sin, the horror of hell, the preciousness of Christ's atoning work. He awakens us to the wonder of salvation by grace through faith, the urgency of holiness and witness, and the sweetness of worship with God's people. What makes it a little confusing sometimes is that we use the word revival for a couple of different things in the church. When I was growing up, I thought revival was a scheduled thing. Every year or two, 
a special speaker would come for a week and you'd have services every night for a week. Um, and the, the service usually had really good music and it was kind of intense and the, the speaker would really get going. And the speaker would call us to repent and get our hearts right from God. And those have kind of fallen out of favor because people felt that sometimes it could almost be manipulative. It was kind of trying to force an emotional reaction in people whether or not the spirit was leading. So churches have kind of moved away from that format. But God still brings revivals. And, you know, it's not to say that those structured revivals are bad. A close friend of mine accepted Christ for the first time at a revival service probably just over 30 years ago. And he's still following Jesus today with his family. So I'm not denigrating those, but it's something that's not very common now. And people don't really talk about it. It's not going to be on CNN or the news channels when some church has scheduled a revival service. But when spontaneous revival breaks out, people start to notice. A spontaneous revival is what happened at Asbury University last month. No one scheduled it or planned it or expected it. The chapel speaker that day uh, was the soccer coach, and he came and gave his message and was trying to, you know, help people get in tune with the Holy Spirit, but he felt like it was just falling flat. He texted his wife, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. He packed up his stuff, he went home. Uh, the worship group that day was an African-American gospel choir, and they sang another song. But some small groups of students just stayed behind in the chapel. Nobody exactly knows why, they don't exactly know why, but they felt like they needed to stay and pray and sing and keep praying and keep singing and repent and tell each other things and listen to God. Pretty soon, hundreds of students were gathering back in the chapel. They were praying and singing together all night and all day and the next night and the next day, people would kind of come and go in shifts because the Holy Spirit was moving. What everyone described that came into the room is they said they felt peace and joy and sweetness, a sweet feeling in the room. People described it as feeling like, like the wall between heaven and earth, it was kind of dissolving. And that when you were in that place, it felt like you were overlapped with heaven, that you could, that you could feel God's presence right there and that God's presence was loving and kind and sweet. Most of the students had never felt anything like it. But I've been reading up, and outpourings of the Holy Spirit like that have been taking place for as long as there have been Christians. We don't know a lot about some of the early ones. Some we do, some we don't. We know, for example, that about 150 years after Jesus died, there was just an outbreak of the Holy Spirit in southern, what's now France. In those days, it was Gaul in the Roman Empire. And Christianity just started spreading. New churches were popping up. People who had been pagans, knew nothing about Judaism, knew nothing about church, were suddenly meeting Jesus. From AD 200 to 300, Christianity spread so quickly in the Roman Empire that at least 20% and maybe as much as 50% of people in the whole Roman Empire had converted and become Christians. Churches and monasteries spread up through this whole time period in the Middle East, in North Africa. It turns out the church was spreading for 200 years in China. Monasteries and churches were spreading until the government there cracked down on it in, um, I think it was around the 
It's up on my slide. Uh, 845, the Chinese government of the time, the, the emperor there cracked down on religion and wouldn't let it spread anymore. But what happens after most people in a place turn to Jesus, in a country or a region? After a while, that faith passes along to a second generation, a third generation, and people start to lose faith. We saw this in the American colonies. Uh, religious people from Europe who'd been persecuted came to the east coast of the Americas and started building towns and villages. They came to escape religious persecution and to be able to worship God in the way they wanted to. After a couple of generations, their kids didn't really care about that. They weren't that interested. You know, that was like boring old people religion. People lost their focus on God. Persecution can break out and people lose their focus on God. We get bogged down in our day-to-day -day lives. People worship less or they don't worship at all. Thankfully, God doesn't leave things alone for very long. Instead, he wakes people up with revivals in that generation or the next or the next. One of the first big movements that we can think of as kind of like a modern revival was in Italy in the 1200s. Most people were technically Christian. There were churches, you know, all over the place. People went to church. The church had gotten very worldly and stale. People were very focused on business and making money and attainment and not really caring about the spiritual side of life. And a young man in the town of Assisi named Francis led a revival movement. He felt called to simplicity and generosity. And it had a huge response. Young people all over Italy and throughout Europe started giving away their possessions, becoming monks and nuns and priests, and focusing on worshiping God and taking care of the poor. In the 1700s, in the American colonies and in Europe, there was a revival that spread so widely and huge, it was called, we still call it the Great Awakening. People's hearts were awakened to God. Since then, looking at charts and timelines, it looks like revivals spring up probably every 30 to 50 years all around the world. A few decades ago, there was a huge revival in Eastern Africa that lasted for years, uh, probably 10 years. In Cuba today, there's a revival that started in 1989. The spirit started moving in churches in Cuba, and it's still going, and people are coming to God. God keeps our spiritual lives fresh. But how do revivals start? Why, why this place and not this place? Researchers who study revival say it usually starts with Bible reading and prayer. There'll be a small group of people. Um, in the Great Awakening, there was a a pastor and a few people at a church that were praying. In Asbury, there was a small group of students started in 2019 praying weekly for revival to come at their school. They wanted themselves and the students around them to experience revival. Well, those students graduated, they went on, some of them are at the seminary now. They've still been meeting weekly to pray. They're not the ones that started the revival. They weren't in the room when it happened. One of them is a professor there now and a student comes running into his class in the middle of class and says, everybody needs to go back to chapel. There is a revival breaking out. And the professor is like, what do I do? Do I keep teaching? I'm in the middle of teaching, but I've been praying for this all this time. He's like, well, I'll just finish this slide and then I'll send the students. Some of the students had run out already and the rest of them ran over to the chapel when he finished his slide. Uh, and when he was interviewed, he said, you know, they've been praying weekly for 
for three or four years now for this, but no one knew about it. The students at the chapel didn't know, but that's how God works through the Holy Spirit. If you feel the Holy Spirit nudging you to pray for revival, he probably has a revival planned that you don't know about, and you're going to be surprised when it comes. Another common factor in revivals is the age group. Sometimes we think of, of older folks as kind of being the more spiritual, right? You know, who's likely to be praying the most often? It's our older folks. But revivals most often seem to start with people in their 20s or even in their teens. Looks like the Holy Spirit really likes working with young people. Sometimes that leads older folks to kind of miss out. When Francis of Assisi was a teenager, it's when he felt God calling him. He started preaching revival and giving away his money, and his dad would lock him up in the house, and he would climb out a window or sneak out and start preaching again, and his dad would send servants out to catch him and drag him home and lock him up again. He just kept at it. He knew what God was calling him to do. As Paul wrote to Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young, but be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Even in the Old Testament, God was letting us know that revival is for people of all ages. In the book of Joel, God says, then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Revival is for old and young, men and women. It's for all of us. That's kind of an overview of kind of what revival is, the history of revival. But how can you tell? How can you tell if something that's happening is a real revival of God's spirit and not a cult starting or a bunch of people just getting caught up in their emotions. Thankfully, it turns out people have studied this and there's a lot of good clues. Before the Asbury movement, for example, a student that was interviewed named Gracie Turner said that she had experienced severe depression and anxiety in her life. She had felt disconnected from God and just really in a bad place in her spiritual life and her emotional life. During the revival services at Asbury, she said she started praying and felt connected to God again. What she told Christianity Today magazine was, it was the first time where I felt I could relax. I felt at peace. It kind of felt like God was telling me, this is what you've been missing. So that's an indicator of real revival. If it brings peace and joy, it brings people closer to God. If you see something that's calling itself a revival or a spiritual movement and you see that it's making people angry, that's probably not what you're looking for. Another marker of revival is a feeling of humility. People who experience revival often describe it as a feeling like falling into the ocean or floating in a deep river that's God's spirit. They feel humble as they experience God's presence they talk about having an intense feeling of how powerful God is, but how gentle and loving he is. When you have that experience, and some of you have had this, I've had this sometimes, where you suddenly just have a vision of how great God is <laughs> and how small you are. 
actually makes life easier because you realize you don't have to depend all on yourself. There's something bigger that's supporting you and holding you up. So when you see people coming out of revival and they don't want to give their names, and they don't want to put themselves forward, that can be a sign of a real revival. And you'll see God spreading it. No one has to advertise it or market it or put on pressure. A person who's moved tells another person, they say, come and see, you've got to see this, you've got to come, you've got to hear this. And it moves them in their own spirits, then they go on sharing the good news and the Holy Spirit goes with them. People promote the movement without promoting themselves. If you, see a, if you see a boastful leader or a hard sell, buy my book today if you want to experience revival, that's probably not a good sign of a real revival from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit can market himself very effectively in changed lives. A true revival should also build Christian community and not tear it down. There was a great quote in one article from a girl who's a student body president at Asbury. She says, I know this campus very well. It's small. I know exactly which students on this campus hate each other. Those are the people I have seen praying together, singing together, hugging, crying. It's been totally life-changing. And people showed up out of nowhere to bring food or volunteer. Uh, one person set up a little coffee station. Why did you set up a coffee station? Or, you know, did somebody organize this? No, the Holy Spirit told me to come out and bring coffee, so she did. Campus leaders worked together really effectively, and they accepted outside advice when they needed it. The revival made their community better. When we have revival, it should build community. At the same time, in all revivals, there's a theme of repentance. At Asbury, students were confessing sins and hurts to God and to each other and forgiving each other. But this goes all the way back. God said to King Solomon, if my people, are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Restoration is a kind of revival. Early on, the leaders of this recent revival, they decided not to live stream it, not to have a focus on any one leader, but try to keep everyone's eyes on Jesus. A revival that points away from Jesus is not really a revival. So that's a lot of background on what a revival is, what it looks like, how to tell if it's a real outpouring of God's spirit. There's still a couple things to watch out for. One risk when you start having revival movements spreading is shallowness. Everyone wants to be part of something. We want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that, that connects us with other people, that has that emotional intensity to it. And that can attract people to a movement that might not be attracted to the contents of the movement. You can end up becoming a revival seeker, wanting to keep those intense emotions going instead of using that new power for the work that God has planned for you. Also, when people get caught up in a spiritual movement, a lot of feelings that can be stirred up that might not have healthy outlets. At Asbury University, during their chapel services during the revival, sometimes they had to ask people to leave. Outsiders would come in and they would start. I loved the description. It was angry praying or praying aggressively. You suddenly have somebody just praying this loud, angry prayer that had nothing to do with the way the spirit was moving in the room. And people would be like, okay, <laughs> let's take that outside. 
But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who kind of manages that problem, right? The, the leaders need to deal with the individuals so it doesn't disrupt. But the Holy Spirit is who works in our hearts. Somebody could show up at a revival out of envy, out of fear of missing out, random curiosity. They might be the same person who ends up giving their life to Jesus. A friend of mine that actually happened to her brother, he was living back in the Midwest, recently out of the military, I'd met a girl, he was dating casually, he's a young man in his 20s, you know, met a woman. She's like, oh, I'm going to this revival service at my church. He wasn't religious, he hadn't grown up in church. He thought, well, I'll go check it out. He became a Christian that night. He didn't even, I mean, he and the girl didn't even end up staying dating. It was, you know, they like barely knew each other, I guess. And from what I've heard from my friend, he's still a committed Christian today. And it's, you know, decades later, because the Holy Spirit moves. On the good side, a real revival is good for everybody. People who already have a good relationship with Jesus can gain new confidence and deeper faith. A lot of people return to faith or turn to Jesus for the first time during a revival. And revivals and any movement of the Holy Spirit remind us that only God is God. No one can control or own a revival movement. The Roman Empire couldn't do it. The Catholic Church couldn't do it. The Chinese government can't do it today. The Cuban government can't do it. No one can force a revival to happen, and no one can stop the Holy Spirit from moving. Like Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. We don't know what God is planning. We know he's already using this recent revival for good, and he's going to keep working in the lives of everyone that's experiencing it but it's also going to affect our lives. A student at a different school put it this way, revival is how we live our lives. It's how we come out of an experience like this changed. So how should we react? How should we respond to revival, either taking place somewhere else or when we experience it for ourselves? The first thing is that we can start with just thanking God for what he's doing. If you talk to any teen or young adult right now, you'll find out that most of them are really stressed out. So a lot of people have been praying for our youth. They can feel God's love and peace and feel more hope for the future. God has been answering that prayer for students at Asbury, and he's going to answer it for our students too. We don't know when, we don't know how, we know he's going to answer that prayer. So we can just be thankful. We can just thank God for revival movements, for the Holy Spirit. But it's also okay to do some fact-checking. You hear something like this in the news, you see a report on it, read about it. Read some articles by reliable people. See if this seems like something legitimate or if it's just, you know, something phony that's happening. And we should pray for that revival to continue. We can all pray for that. But we need to also pray for revival in our own lives and for our own young people. Sometimes God moves in big ways to touch a lot of people at once. You have a little service and suddenly you have 50,000 people at your service. But the Holy Spirit is also very personal for each one of us. If you accept Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit to live in your heart, you can have a personal revival at any time. You don't have to have that moment in the service. It's wonderful if you have that moment where you feel like the separation between you and God has gone away. I've felt that a few times in my life. 
but God is also with us and in our hearts in the Holy Spirit. God gives each of us the ability to move closer to him and to feel his presence. That's the good news. If you pray and move towards Jesus, the Holy Spirit will revive your own heart. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, forget what happened long ago. Don't think about the past. I am creating something new. There it is, do you see it? I've put roads and deserts, streams and thirsty lands. That's what revival is. Fresh water when your soul is thirsty. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing one more song and you'll all be dismissed, but I wanna challenge you this week. Listen for the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit calling you to pray for? Where, where do you see a need for the fresh water of the Holy Spirit in your life or in the lives around you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this revival that we've been hearing about. Please be with the students and young adults in our own church and around the country and the world as they struggle with all the difficulties they're facing. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and turn us away from any sin in our lives. Help us to trust in you and feel your presence in our hearts. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.